service this morning and you're above the Connect Kids age, uh, you can go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning as we continue in our series in the book of uh, Romans. We're going to be starting out a new chapter this morning, which is always exciting. I uh, just wanted to tell everyone thank you uh, for all your thoughts and prayers. As Jamie had surgery this past week, my wife, and uh, she's doing well. I, I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, been a crazy week. My father-in-law had surgery on Friday, and Jamie had surgery on Wednesday, and it's just been an unusual week. But it's so refreshing to know that people are praying for, for you and your family and the food you guys have provided and the cards and the text and all that stuff. Just thank you all. Um, they're both back at home. They're both doing well, uh, and hopefully things will be good. So I just wanted to say thank you. It means a lot. Um, as we get into to Romans chapter 7 this morning, though, we're going to be covering just the first six verses this morning, and we're going to be building on the things that uh, the Apostle Paul, who is the author of the book of Romans, he's written in his letter to the church in Rome up to this point. So, you know, obviously we're in whatever number this is, the 27th sermon in this series, and so everything is building on uh, each chapter. And so if you've missed a couple or maybe you're new here, understand that this will make a lot more sense in the context of the whole book, just like we want to always do. We want to always put Scripture in the proper uh, context. But one of the, the crucial points hanging in the balance at this moment as we come to the text today, really in chapter 6 too, but especially in 7, is, is Paul's teaching about living the Christian life. And we talked about in chapter 6, chapter 7, he's talking to believers. He's not speaking to unbelievers. And specifically, he's talking about the different ways that were kind of being discussed at that time, and really they're still being discussed today, about ways to go about living the Christian life. And there, there are two big extremes when we talk about living the, the Christian life. And you hear these taught, and you hear some of these um, kind of prescribed to by different churches, different Christians, different pastors. And the, the first extreme would be a way to live completely free, completely with a license to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, because you've already been saved by God's grace. So I'm going to heaven, I'm good, I can do whatever I want. I remember hearing that many, many times, uh, high school, college, even after college, I'd meet someone, they would say they're a Christian, and then they would say, yeah, but I can do whatever because God's already saved me and God's going to forgive me. And I'm like, but your life doesn't reflect Christ at all. It's like, it doesn't matter. I've asked Christ into my heart, I can do whatever I want. I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. So that's, that's what one commentator that I was reading this week, he, he said that he would call that a license to, to do whatever, whenever you want, living with a license. But the total opposite other extreme from license is also not necessarily the, the right way to live either. And that was, is when we believe that you've, the person has, they live so in tune with the law or the Bible that they want to follow it to the letter without regard for motive or without regard for the heart of the matter. And most of the time, almost always, this way of living, the Christian life, is commonly referred to as legalism. It's, it's following the, the letter of the law, but maybe not the spirit of the law. And it does not take into account the power and the freedom that we have in God's grace. So, in case you don't already know, these two extremes, neither one are, are correct. Hannah, I'm not sure that thing's working this morning. Turn it back on, maybe turn it off, I don't know. But um, there's two, we'll get it going here in a minute. There's two different, um, two different chapters, chapter 6, chapter 7, 
And chapter 6 specifically is looking at that, dealing with that, that legalism or the licensed crowd. And chapter 7 is, is Paul's going to deal with the legalism crowd. And in, in Romans 6, as, as Paul addresses the license extreme, we come to Romans 7 where he addresses the legalism extreme. And it's interesting to note in this context as we get into chapter 7 that the word law is mentioned 23 times in chapter 7, which is a lot. Chapter 7 is not very long. But in the verses we're going to look at today, just the first six verses, the word law or the term law is mentioned eight different times. So Paul's really going to hammer home. He's already kind of talked about the licensed crowd. So if you missed chapter 6, go back and, and read that. But today's going to really hammer home on the, on the legalism side. And so I want to go ahead and dive into those uh, verses, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Again, we're just going to cover the first six, and then we'll cover more uh, in our next, our next time together. So starting in Romans 7, verse 1, it says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we, we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Since the, one of the primary focuses of this text is, as I've already mentioned, legalism, um, I wanted to define it by someone much smarter than me. And this is a widely respected author, commentator, Warren Wearsby. And this is what he said. Uh, he said, what really is legalism? It's the belief that I can become holy and please God by obeying laws. It is measuring spirituality by a list of do's and don'ts. The weakness of legalism, listen to what he says here, the weakness of legalism is that it sees sins, plural, but not sin, the root of the trouble. It judges by the outward and not the inward. Furthermore, the legalist fails to understand the real purpose of God's law and the relationship between law and grace. So it's, it's that legalism, that's a great definition of, of legalism. It's outward, it's not inward, it focuses on sins and not sin, not the, the, not the heart of the matter, and that's the legalism that Paul's teaching against in Romans 7, and he does so in an interesting way by using marriage as an illustration. There's a good reason when you guys hear other people speak, preachers, authors, motivational speakers, whatever, that people often use illustrations. The reason I use illustrations, the reason Paul used illustrations is so that you can better relate to the concept being taught. A lot of times, it's the funniest thing. I'll, I'll preach a sermon. I'll be, I'll be really focused in on a text. And then a week later, somebody will mention something to me, and it was about an uh, illustration. It was about an analogy, and it had nothing to do with it, what I was actually... I mean, it had something to do with it, obviously, because I was talking about it, but it was that's what stuck in their mind. And so, and that's true for me, too. When I read a book, when I'm listening to someone teach or preach... I remember the analogies, the illustrations, 
why I don't always remember just the content alone. Well, the people that Paul was writing to were no different than me and you. That's why he's using an illustration here to teach. Paul was not the first to do that. Obviously, teachers throughout time have done that, including the greatest teacher of all time, Jesus. Uh, Y'all probably know his teachings as uh, when he used illustrations as the parables. All the illustrations he had were, you think about all the ways he taught and all the, the illustrations he used. So illustration's a great way to teach, and that's what we're covering today is marriage Paul using it as an illustration to demonstrate a couple things. The way he's going to illustrate is just a couple things. Number one is how we have freedom from the law. And then number two, how we can learn to love the law of God, but to do so with a different reason and a different motivation than the legalist. The legalist loves the law because that's the way they're going to live their life. And what Paul's going to teach through the confines of of marriage as an illustration is that we can learn to love the law for a different reason with a different heart motivation. If you go back and look at verse 1, Paul says, or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So quick, two quick things on verse 1. Number one, when he says brothers, he's referring to other Jewish men who knew the law very, very well. And so when he says, or do you not know, that is a sarcastic, rhetorical you guys know the law. He's speaking to people that know the law very, very well. Okay, so understand that. Um, he's, he's not speaking to, to an audience that would be uneducated about matters of the law. But then the second thing, when Paul uses that word law, he says, for I'm speaking to you, to those who know the law, the, the word, the term he uses there is a general term, and it could refer to any type of law. Uh, and so they would have took that to mean Roman law, Greek law, God's law, all of those kind of things in, in mind. And so Paul is saying that any law of any kind, it's only binding as long as it, that person is alive, okay? And that's, that would be true for the, the Roman government, true for the American government. You think of it in terms of uh, our culture today. You think of someone, uh, and unfortunately we hear this way too often in our society today, but someone goes out and they commit a murder. And so that person we know should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, right? And so they are, they're under the law. But let's say at the scene of the crime, that person who committed the murder is also killed. Well, when that person is killed, the law no longer is binding on that person, right? It's like, well, we're going to prosecute them. You, you don't prosecute a dead person. Are they guilty? Yeah, they're guilty, but there's, the, the law no longer applies. And that's the point that Paul is, is making in his illustration with marriage in, in verse Two, and that's the one I'm going to read next. Verse 2, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So in this scenario, Paul is saying that the man and woman are bound to each other under the law of marriage as long as they both shall live. Okay, so that's not a new concept for most of you. And I would say that Using that language is maybe not the best way to highlight marriage, like saying you're bound to each other. Uh, but again, Paul's not trying to speak on marriage here. He's not, he's not giving instruction for marriage. He's using marriage as an illustration. Uh, some people have taken this text, and they have taken it out of context and said, well, Paul's he's speaking on marriage. He's not, he's not teaching on marriage here. He's using marriage as, a, as an illustration. And so just keep that in mind that he's not off, he does offer uh, instruction for marriage, but in a different uh, different part of uh, Romans, and actually different parts of several books. But that's not what he's doing. So he's using it as 
As long as they both are living, they're bound. They are under the law, okay? I know that sounds like if you're not married, you never want to be married, so I don't want you to think that. Um, it, marriage is a beautiful thing, but right in this context, he's saying they're bound to that law to keep it. And uh, Pastor J.D. Greer from the summit, he had a great comparison to this. He said that, um, let me go back to it. I don't know if I have it up there or not. Uh, let's see. Maybe I don't. Anyway, this is what he said. He said, the law was the way we sought to establish our worth, the code that we kept to prove to ourselves and others that we were worth accepting. But all that produced was frustration, insecurity, doubt, and jealousy. So if, if you look at that, and I'm going to go back to verse 3. Uh, there it is. Thank you, Hannah. Um, is that if you look at 2 and 3 together, and this is an interesting text here because they're bound together, and then in, in verse 3 he continues, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress. So there's that, if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. So in other words, a, a widow would be totally free from the law of marriage because she's no longer a wife. And she would not be in violation of any law if she were to marry another man. So this is, this is the point Paul is making, is that while they're married, they're bound. But after her husband dies, the woman's set free. In much the same way, that's what Paul is saying about us before we met Christ through the gospel. And that's where the, the quote from, from J.D. Greer really makes sense, is that the law was really worth, was really worth something, was really worth, worth establishing our worth. It was a code to live by, but ultimately it just produced frustration and insecurity and doubt and jealousy. But then if you go to verse 4, there we go. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. So that you may belong to another. We're going to come back to that phrase. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. That phrase, so that you may belong to another. You know, I love that phrase because it paints such a beautiful picture about what the gospel is all about. That Jesus would become sin on our behalf to die for that sin, to die to the law through Jesus. We could die to that law through the, through the cross and through Jesus. And the reason you got to ask is, why does Jesus do that? Why do we have the good news? Why do we have the gospel? And it's in that verse. So that you may belong to another. And that another is the, the second husband in this marriage illustration. The second husband in this illustration is, is Christ. So that you may belong to the one who has saved you, the one who has redeemed you, the one that you can live and dwell in his grace. I love that phrasing. And so when you see that this law here, it says you've died to the law, we've got to understand a couple things about the law, is that the law can condemn you, and it does condemn you, but the law can never redeem you. When we come to the law and read the law in, in Scripture, we remember even going back to last week, we read verse 23 in chapter 6. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Well, the law exposes our sin, and then we know that the wages of sin is death. The law brings great, great condemnation. And so when the law exposes our sin, and that sin leads to death, we, it's natural to draw to the conclusion that the law only offers condemnation, and death. But see, God had way, way, way more in mind in his plan than just the law 
than just the wages of sin. See, God's plan included sending His Son to die in your place, to die in my place. Why? So that you may belong to another. That you may belong to the one who died for you. In verse 4 also, it, it also if you go back and look at that, it, when it says we've, we've died of the law, but it, what, what some people have taken that to mean, this is where we don't want to go too far, is that does not mean that we suddenly have that free license to do whatever and whenever. That's what some people say, well, we've died of the law. That's what it says right there in verse 4, so we can just do whatever and whenever. And that's going too far. I, I love Wearsby. He says to be dead to the law does not mean we lead lawless lives. It simply means that the motivation and dynamic of our lives does not come from the law. It comes from God's grace through our union with Christ. It's, it's a whole different way of, of looking at that. I, I, I've got another quote from J.D. here, and it's really good. He said, when we became Christians, notice what he says here, we died to the law and used it as a means to elevate ourselves in the eyes of God and others. When we were saved by the free gift of Jesus, we got married to him. Receiving his love in the gospel is what produces love in our hearts. The love of God does what the law could not. When we were married to the law, it was a way to gain acceptance from God. But now that we've been saved by Christ, the law is a way to please the one who saved us. And this is, this is really the heart of the matter, what he says here. We obey the law not to gain acceptance by God, but because we already have acceptance. We are no longer motivated by fear, but we're motivated by love. You guys see the difference there? I love, I love quoting other people that are far smarter than me. J.D.'s one of them, and Warren Wearsby's one of them. And that is that there's a major difference in the way we live our lives, that you're either motivated by fear or you're motivated by love. Those that are following legalistic ways, they're motivated by fear, that I can't step out of line or I'm going to be sinful and I'm going to cause God to bring down condemnation. And yes, there are consequences to sin. And yes, we should strive to live holy lives. But if we're doing so out of fear, we're missing the grace and the joy and just the beauty of what God gives us in the cross. So it's not a, we don't have a license to sin, do whatever we want. But at the same time, we're, not, we're no longer bound to these rules and regulations of the law and its legalism. Instead, we have a, a, a totally new and a totally different position in Christ. And that's because of God's acceptance of us through Christ. So it changes us from having to follow the law to we want to follow the law. We want to be obedient. We want to do what pleases the Lord. Not because we're motivated by fear or the consequences of disobedience, but because we love God because he first loved us and he gave himself for us. I mean, that's, that's the heart of the gospel. If, we, if you understand anything this morning, understand that the, your obedience should come out of love and not fear. And I feel like a lot of times our obedience, if we're really honest, if we had to really dig down, our obedience is out of a fear. I want to make sure I check the boxes in my Christian life so that I'm doing the right thing. And it's not motivated out of love due to the incredible grace we've been given through Christ. So there's a, there's a, there's a middle ground there. It's not living with license. It's not living with legalism. And in these last two verses, as he closes this section, before we get to the next section, which we'll cover uh, next time, he says in verse 5 and 6, For while we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions aroused by the law 
were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, Paul closes this section of Scripture by showing the stark contrast between the old life in the flesh, new life in the Spirit. Verse 5 is describing that old, sinful, selfish life where the sinful passions, it says, were aroused by the law. They were at work in our members, that means in our bodies, to bear fruit for death. But then in verse 6, we see the, that phrase, but now, indicating a major transition. Verses 5 and 6 could not be any more different. Five's the old, six is the new, but now we're released from the law. Because we've died to the law. We've died to that which held us captive. That, that husband-wife situation no longer exists. We're not bound under that law. So that now we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What a, what a stark contrast. That the freedom from the law, make sure you understand this, that freedom from the law brings about freedom to righteousness. A lot of people want the freedom from the law, but they don't want the freedom to righteousness. Or they don't, they've got the freedom to righteousness, but they don't have the freedom from the law. It's, it's a both. It's an and situation. It's not an or situation. Freedom from the law brings about freedom to righteousness. And notice, what does that freedom of righteousness involve? Verse 6, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. See, freedom from the demands and the penalty of the law That's not a license for us to go on living selfishly. Like, I don't have to do that. God's freed me from that. No, it's it's not a license for that. It's It's a freedom to serve God and to serve others through what he says there, the new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So, in this, in the, just in 5 and 6, I think Paul does a great job of not only explaining what he's freed us from, the law, but now freed us to righteousness. And, and the one thing that he mentions in verse 6, what does that look like? That's one of the questions that we always ask in, in some of our leadership team meetings is we're, we're planning an event or we're planning a, a service or whatever, and we're asking, well, what does that look like? Well, Paul says right here what a, a life that is free to righteousness looks like. It's a life that will serve. It's interesting to me that that's the verb he chose in in verse 6. That if you're freed from the demands of the law, that you're now freed to righteousness and you want to serve God and you want to serve people. And that's something that we always have to remember, that our lives should be a life of a servant. Not just in the church, but definitely includes the church, but at home, at your job, in your neighborhood. I tell you what, this, this past week with with uh, Jamie being down with the surgery, it made me open my eyes a lot to see all the stuff she does to serve me and to serve our kids because now it ain't being done. And I'm like, good gracious, like, it's all this stuff I'm having to do. And I'm like, I don't know where the kids' lunches are. I can't find their book bags. I don't know where nothing. And I'm like, and it just, it made me really, really stop and be thankful for how much she serves. And so if that's going on in, in, in your home, you don't realize how much someone's serving until they can't serve or they're not there to serve. And we need to be thankful for those that are serving in our homes, serving in our churches, serving in our community, serving in our places of work. Because Paul says that's the way that the new life in Christ will look. 
I talked about illustrations earlier, and I wanted to close with an illustration uh, just like Paul did in this text. And this, this illustration, um, I've got the, I got the web link for you so you can pull it up on your own. But it uh, comes from an article, and I think, I think Bo, my brother, sent this to me, or somebody sent it to me, and I read it a while back. It's been probably a month ago. But the article's called, um, Why Does God Allow Us to Keep Struggling Against Sin? It's a great article, so if you write down that web address or check out the notes online, it's a good article. But, but uh, J.D. Greer mentions in this article an illustration. The illustration's not his. He's stealing it from someone else. It's uh, Tony Evans who, who gives the illustration. So uh, J.D.'s smart and, and taking things from other people too, which I think is the best way we can learn. But this is, this is what he said. I'm just going to close with this. This is directly from uh, J.D.'s article. He says, Tony Evans says, when you walk into a house with a dog, you can always tell the difference between a grace dog and a law dog. A law dog has its tail tucked. It's afraid of its master. The master says, do this or I'm going to smack you with a paper. It is a miserable dog. But a grace dog's tail is wagging when its master comes home because there's a relationship there. The dog just wants to be with the master and make him happy. God wants grace dogs, not law dogs. He's not after obedience, but an entirely different kind of obedience. If you have pets at home, you have, may have a dog, or at least you've been around dogs, y'all, that illustration sticks, right? I've seen a lot of law dogs. I walk into somebody's house, and that dog is scared, I mean, completely to death. They don't move. They don't do anything. They're living in a state of fear and a state of, you know, I better follow or I'm going to get smacked. And then I've been in places and you see these dogs and they're just so happy to see their, their owner, their tails are wagging, they're free, they're living in grace. And it's just, you can tell that, that dog is a happy dog. And it's because, I love what Tony Evans says, it's because there's a relationship there. The dog wants to be with the master and all he wants to do is make him happy. That's what God wants from us. And I think that's the challenge for us is obviously we have a challenge to be obedient. And that should go without saying. But does our obedience come from being a law dog? We're just, we're, we're captivated, just captivated, just unbelievably inside of you. You cannot move because you're scared of what the law is going to do to you if you step out of the law. If you step out of line, are we law dogs or are we grace dogs? That sometimes, you know what happens with grace dogs? They're so happy and their, their tails are wagging so much. They're so happy to see their own. You know what they do? They sometimes mess up stuff, right? They sometimes knock over furniture. They sometimes knock over things and they make a mess. And, does, and is, that, is that a problem? Yeah, it can be. And it makes a mess and it's a problem. But those are the kind of things that I think God's looking for us. Is that I want you to love me so much don't be afraid of making a mess. Don't be afraid of messing up. I want you just to enjoy me, to enjoy my presence. Be happy to be with me. I want grace dogs, not law dogs. And I just wonder, and my challenge to myself and, and to you guys, is are we living in obedience to the law or are we living in obedience to just wanting to be with our master? just to do and say the things that will please him. And, if and yeah, we might mess up sometimes. We might knock over some furniture, and our tails might wag a little bit, and we might cause some, some issues. But are we living in, in grace, 
or are we living under the fear of the law? Lord, I just pray now that, that your word would resonate in our hearts. And I, I, there's not a question of obedience here because we, I think anybody that's read your word, even a verse or two, would understand our call to obedience. But I think it's more about the motivation of our heart. And our motivation should not be fear and legalism and dotting every I and crossing every T and checking every box. That is a miserable, miserable existence. And Lord, not to mention that we can't even do that. Even if we try, we're going to fail, 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 fail. Lord, you don't, you don't ever want law dogs. You want grace dogs. Lord, I pray that we would be just so in love with you that we're not scared, we're not fearful of every little step we take, that we can live and breathe and move in your spirit and serve others. Why? Because of your grace. And why did you give grace? So that we may belong to another. And that another is you. And Lord, that's, that's just a simple prayer, but Lord, it's a, as a big, big, huge contextual meaning in our lives that our motivation and our intentions when we're obedient would be out of love and out of just admiration and thanksgiving and not out of fear, not out of legalism, and not out of license either. Well, we would never take a license to go do what we want to do. That's not what you've called us to do. You've called us to a different kind of obedience, a kind of obedience that is spurred on by love not by anything externally pushing us to that behavior. Lord, I just pray that as we, we sing now, we, we close the service, that, that not only the, the verses here in Romans chapter 7 would resonate, but Lord, that uh, as we go through this week, that your word would be alive in our hearts, be alive in our, our minds, and Lord, we'd be able to apply it, and we'd be able to live in it, and walk in it in grace, and realize that, you know what, we're going to mess up. It's okay. You've, you've provided that for us, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you so much for that. Thank you for each person here, Lord. I know they all have different things going on in their lives, different struggles, different challenges, uh, different triumphs, and different celebrations. I pray you would meet each one of them this week. You, they would meet with you, and you would meet with them. In your name we pray. Amen.